Welcome to the Anchor Church Podcast. Each week, we'll bring you the teaching from our central campus. We hope it's an encouragement to you. Thanks for listening. Like they said, we're in this uh, series, A Servant King. Uh, we kicked off Lent this week. We kicked off Lent uh, on Ash Wednesday earlier this week, which was a really cool moment. Uh, I, I'm glad so many of you were able to come through here, either in the morning or in the afternoon, to go through our Ash Wednesday experience. Um, I think it was a powerful moment. And again, uh, we do have Lent resources available. Like they mentioned, you can go to our website, anchortacoma.org slash Lent, and you'll see some resources um, that we've made available for you to utilize during this season of Lent. Uh, and, and we hope that, that Lent is a season of reflection for you as you get ready to celebrate Easter. Right, and that's what Lent historically is, is it's this time period leading up to Easter where Jesus followers have kind of fasted or, or added things into their life as they focus and get, point towards celebrating Easter. And so uh, fasting, right, is a way of refocusing your mind on a certain thing. So like if you're hungry or you're wanting to go to that social media that you've been fasting from, instead of doing that, it's a moment, a reminder to say, hey, God, I'm going to listen to what you have for me here. So sometimes people fast during Lent. Sometimes people add things in, right? You're going to say like, hey, I want to add in five minutes of quiet time to my day to just say, God, what are you telling me as we get ready to celebrate Jesus's resurrection at Easter this year? Uh, so again, we hope that you can lean in in some way to Lent into the season of preparing our hearts and our minds and our emotions for the celebration that Easter is. And we're really excited for that. Um, but again, if you want resources, those are available on our website. And so I'm really glad that this is the first Sunday in Lent that we have this year, and we are going over the passage that we are, uh, because I think it's a really cool passage to look at as we prepare our hearts for celebrating Easter. If you've been here over the last month, you'll know that we're going through the book of Mark, looking at the life of Jesus, specifically how he is living out this role, description, title of a servant king. And today, I think we're going to look at what I believe is probably the most foundational characteristic that Jesus has that allows him to have that title and wear that title well, and that characteristic is love. Right? Every time we teach on the stage here at Anchor, we're going to teach out of the Bible. We believe that that is God's word given to us. And today we'll be continuing in the book of Mark. And again, if you're unfamiliar with, with the Bible, the book of Mark is found in what we call the New Testament. It's about the last third of, of a paper Bible. Um, and it was written uh, detailing events and letters and things that happened from about Jesus' birth onward. Right? And the first two-thirds of the Bible is the Old Testament. Um, and that goes from like the beginning of the world all the way up to about 400 or so years before Jesus was born. But we're in Mark. Mark is called one of the four Gospels. And, and again, a Gospel is just a, a Bible book that is an account of Jesus' life. And so today we're going to be in Mark 12, starting with verse 28. And you can follow along in a paper Bible or a Bible app, but we'll also have it up on the screen. Starting in verse 28, it says this. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one answered Jesus is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. 
When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. This is a really interesting encounter. We see this encounter in slightly different perspectives uh, in the book of Matthew and the book of Luke. And we're going to be focusing today in Mark's account of this interaction that Jesus had. To set the stage, Jesus was in the temples. He was walking around in church. He was talking. He was teaching in the way that they did in church in that time period. And another teacher came up and tried to test him. Right, and I, I love this passage. I love that we get to dive into this because this is such an important moment in the life of Jesus. I think one of the most challenging hurdles that we face, especially early in our journey of following Jesus, is how to piece together the Old Testament, right, that first two-thirds of the Bible written going up to about 400 years before Jesus was born, and the New Testament. Right, how do we put these two together? The Old Testament is the story of God's people, starts when the world was created, and God the Father is the main person of God that we see in the Old Testament. And the New Testament, we're probably, most of us in the room are more familiar with the New Testament than the Old Testament. I am. And in the New Testament, we see Jesus, and he is the main God figure that we see in the New Testament. He's the main persona of God. And God the Son and God the Father interact with the world in some pretty different ways to our lens. Right? And again, it's really important that Christians from day one have really believed that God is three in one. There's Father, Son, and Spirit, and those are different aspects of one God. And so, but again, we look at the Old Testament, we look at the New Testament, and it's so hard to, to put together sometimes because the Old Testament is very different culturally. Heck, the New Testament is different culturally for us, let alone the Old Testament. And so it can be really, really challenging to piece these together. And I love this passage because we get to take a look at Jesus taking these different pieces and putting them together. We get to look at Jesus and saying, here's how they work together. And so if you're taking notes, the first thing I want you to write down is this is old and new. Okay, old and new. I think a lot of times we can look at Jesus and contrast his actions on earth to the actions that we see from God the Father in the Old Testament and think that Jesus is saying we can be done with the Old Testament completely and we don't need it anymore. And it's really easy, it's really convenient at times to look at the Bible and say, well, I just like Jesus in the New Testament, I'm going to ignore it. Well, we're cutting out two-thirds of the word of God when we do that. Like, and I get it, I want to do that. Like, there are times in my life where I would articulate that I believe that I was wrong, but I, that's what I wanted, that's what I felt and what I believed. And we can't do that, right? We don't get to just pitch out the Old Testament because sometimes it makes us uncomfortable or sometimes we don't understand it or we say, like, it looks different to us. And Jesus actually, he speaks out against that very idea. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 and 18, Jesus says this. He says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets, right? And that's the main, like, we have history, law, and prophets in the Old Testament. Like, that's what we have, um, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And so in this passage in Mark, we see Jesus get super practical about what that looks like. Because we have the law in the Old Testament, right? There's probably like 600 plus pieces of law, commandments, instructions, words in the Old Testament. And that can be really, really daunting and really, really confusing. And so we see someone confronting Jesus, a teacher trying to test Jesus's veracity as a teacher and saying, like, what's the most important? And here's the thing. Well, it might've been a trick or a test. Like, I, I love that he asked this question. Like there's 600 plus commandments in the Old Testament. We got to do some prioritization, right? Like you cannot have 600 important rules that you all follow. Like we, we have to find a balance, right? 
And so I love that he asks this. He's like, how do we prioritize Jesus? Which ones matter more? What do we focus on? And I also want to say this, like I put myself often in the shoes of this teacher. Like I think it's really easy in the church to decry what we call legalism or rule following, but I have a confession, I like rule following. And it's good, like you want your executive pastor at the church to like be a rule follower, like it's good, I'm in the right seat on the bus here. Uh, but like I, I like following rules. It's simple. It's not easy, but it's simple. It's easy to understand. I look and I go, here's what it says. Here's what we do. Like it's A, right? A plus B equals C. Like we do these things. And I like, I want a checklist from God. Even if that checklist is 600 items long, at least it's a checklist, right? Like Jesus is like, the bar's up here. I'm like, can I just get the 600 part checklist instead? (laughs) But Jesus doesn't work like that. Like I want a checklist. I want to know what rules do I follow. I want to know, am I missing the mark or not? And Jesus doesn't work like that. And ultimately, I am grateful for that because like everyone, I will miss the mark. I do miss the mark. But I love that this question gets asked of Jesus. And I love that when he is asked the question, he cuts to the chase. He says, it's not about that long list of rules, although those rules are still important, but it's about love. And he quotes the Old Testament scriptures that this audience in the temple, and especially the teacher who's asking him this question, would know. He quotes passages that are found in in the Old Testament books of, of Deuteronomy and Leviticus. And this is really, really cool, right? That Jesus is unpacking the Old Testament for us here. It's interesting. One of the passages that he quotes in Deuteronomy or Leviticus, when he says, you know, love your neighbor as yourself. It's interesting. The very next verse talks about and goes into how you shouldn't wear clothing made out of two different types of like cloth material. And so like, I, we, we need Jesus to parse this for us. Like we need Jesus to go like that one's more important than that one. And like, because that one's an easy face, but there's harder ones, right? And so I love that we have this moment where Jesus says, okay, you want to know what's cultural? You want to know what actually matters today? You want to know what the instructions are? Here it is. Love God. Love your neighbor as yourself. And it's not that the other things, again, are, are, should be abolished or should be gotten rid of or that Jesus says, like, we don't care about them. He's like, hey, you want your priorities? Here it is. And sometimes I think I go, like, Jesus, are you sure it's only two? And he goes, try doing them. <laughs> He's like, let's start you with two, John, and we'll see how that goes. <laughs> Maybe when you can do one, we can talk, John. But, right? but it's, it's so important that these are the things that Jesus says we focus on. He says we focus on these. I think it's also important for us to remember that for a lot of people in the room in the church at this time, this is a scary moment. This isn't the first time. It's not going to be the last time either that Jesus takes holy scriptures and look someone in the eye and says, they don't say what you think it says. Right, the most famous example of this is when the people are trying to trap Jesus and they're saying like, hey, you healed someone. Like, what, is, what are the rules on working on the Sabbath, Jesus? And he's like, well, it's actually about your heart, not about like the 24 hour, right? Like, and as someone who, who grew up in the church, as someone who memorized tons and tons of Bible verses at a young age, as someone who um, did all of that with the Bible without really doing a lot of examining of context or culture or overarching picture, like I get how scary that is. I get how scary it is for the Pharisees to go like, no, Jesus, the Bible says this, and Jesus who's claiming to be God says, no, the Bible doesn't say that. Like that is scary, Right? And so I think whenever we read stories like this, we need to be kind to ourselves and we need to be kind to the religious leaders at the time because we're not too far from them. 
Like, I'm not. I just wonder, like, how, how I would respond, how you would respond to Jesus coming and saying, like, I know you think the Bible says this. It actually doesn't. Or it does say that, but that's not what it means. That's a hard moment, right? Like, why do people get up in arms about Jesus? He's telling them the Bible's wrong to their view. And again, we know that's not actually what's happening, but it feels like that, doesn't it? And so we get to have compassion here. Something else that's cool about the commandments that we see from Jesus here, right? They ask him what's the most important commandment, and he gives them two. Um, I think it's so important, right? And these are important because Jesus is using this to teach us a lesson here, which is this, that the commandments, the laws, they need each other. Like love of God has to have love of neighbor. Love of neighbor has to come from love of God. Like they cannot exist on their own without each other, right? Like if you, if you love your neighbor, but you don't love God, I would actually say you don't probably understand what love really looks like. Like we have an idea of love and we're gonna unpack that, but we don't understand what love really looks like because God is love and he's the one who gets to define that word. And on the flip side, right, if we say we love God but don't love our neighbor, I question if we actually do. And what that looks like is we, we get stuck up or we get self-righteous. And so we're going to talk next, again, if you're taking notes, we're going to talk about what we call real love. Real love. It's important to know that when Jesus uses the word love here, as he's quoting these scriptures, when we look at the Greek that he's talking in at the time, that he's using the Greek word for the type of love that is sacrificial, that is self-sacrificing love. This type of love costs us something. We had Valentine's Day a couple of of weeks ago, and I think this is a really good contrast, right? Because sacrificial love is not the love that you see on Valentine's Day in commercial stores and definitely not elementary school classrooms, which is a new world for me uh, to get into. I love friendship. It's awesome. I love the focus on friendship. But that's not love, right? Like the way that we are talking about love in this Jesus sense. It's not real love. It's not sacrificial love. It's not the type of love that Jesus is talking about here. Real love means this, it means being mindful of someone else, of offering something you have. And here's the thing, there has to be a cost to real love. There has to be a cost to real love. And I question this, that if it doesn't cost you something, is it actually real love? If it doesn't cost you something, is it actually real love? And it's a heavy thing, so I'm going to tell a fun story about my kid to lighten it up a little bit. Um... The other day, Griffy really wanted, my seven-year-old son, Griffy, really wanted me to walk him to school. Um, and I love walking Griffy to school, but I had a meeting here that I had already committed to like a month earlier. And so I sat down with Griffy, I was like, okay, we can go to school, but we, like, we have to leave for the walk five minutes earlier than we normally do, so that way dad has enough time to walk back up the giant hill and then drive my car to the church. And he's like, okay, I got it. So we get everything together, we get out the door, we start walking down, we go down the hill out of our house, and we start going down the big hill down to the school. There's lots of hills, I complain, I'm sorry. Um, and we turn the corner and Griffy goes, oh no, I forgot my hat. And my response to that moment was like, tough. <laughs> I want to be the parent that brings boundaries like both Rose and I do. Like, and I was like, you got two options, bud. Like, we can go back and get your hat and drive, or we can walk. And he starts to cry. And he's like, I really want to walk with you, and I really want my hat because it's really cold and there's recess today. And I'm going there, and I, <laughs> because I'm a sucker, like, I do it. <laughs> And I text the person that I'm meeting with. I'm like, hey, I'm really sorry. Like, and it, it, like, it, it's a small thing, but it did like slowly ruin my whole day's schedule. 
And as we're walking back, like I'm talking with Griffey and I go, hey, just so you know, the decision to go back and get your hat only negatively affects me. Like you're still, you are gonna get to school early. You are still getting to school on time. Like there is no negative fallout for you here. <laughs> and my day is gonna be completely set aside. But I don't, like, I, we don't wanna guilt our kids, right? And so I told him, I was like, but you need to know, like I chose to do that because I love you. And again, I, I, I unpacked all that for him, not because I want him to like, not because I'm like, look at me, I love you so much because we're trying to teach our kids what love looks like. And as we're teaching our kids about Jesus, when I can, in the grand scheme of things, ruin my day by five stinking minutes, it's not a big deal, but use that as a moment to talk to him about what sacrificial love looks like and that love looks like giving when you can never get and that love looks like someone sacrificing for you when you would have been fine either way. That's really cool, but love has to cost something. I think this, we've lost sight in today's culture inside and outside the church of what love looks like. Love doesn't seem to come at a cost for us anymore. Especially the way we try and, and demonstrate love. I think oftentimes we get confused and we think that loving our neighbor looks like what I would call bumper sticker love. Where we start with a bumper sticker that we put on our car, which I never do because I don't drive in a way that I want people to associate anything I support with my driving. Um, <laughs> but, but people do this, right? And maybe it's not your car, but maybe it's your window or maybe it's your yard sign. And you put something there that you say, I want people to know that I love them and that I care about them. Right? Maybe that's that coexist bumper sticker. Maybe it's a God bless America bumper sticker. But that isn't enough, right? There's a pressure to do a little bit more. You go from the coexist sticker to adding on to the pride flag sticker, the Black Lives Matter sticker, the political candidate sticker. Then you have to put the Ukrainian flag so you know that for some reason you don't hate Ukrainians, right? And then your car is so cluttered, you can't see out the back windshield. And again, my friends on the political right do this too, right? The God Bless America sticker, the American flag sticker. Oh, I have to put the POW one on there and then the support the troops and then the Blue Lives Matter, right? Because I can't let any group know that I might not love and care about them because this is who I am. And it is exhausting and it is performative. It is exhausting and it is performative and it is not love. Right, and I, I, I think my first exposure to this was in college when I watched people try to boycott things and then stick their noses up about it. We're like, I don't drink that coffee because it's not fair trade. I'm like, man, you are wearing $15 jeans from H&M. You don't think like some exploitation happened there? <laughs> Like, and the reality is, like in, a, like, in the current economic society that we live in, like, there is no single ethical consumer choice we can make. And so what happens is that, like, we, we try this in boycotting, we try this in bumper sticker love, and what we do is we end up like, uh, how many of you guys have seen the show The Good Place? Good Place? Okay. More of you need to watch it. It's great. Um, I also love, like, everything Mike Sure puts out, so that's fine. Um, there's a care, so the, the premise of The Good Place is this, loosely for today's purposes, really good show, really well written, you should watch it. Um, there's a good place and a bad place that we go to at the end of times, and however many points we have puts us towards one or the other. Again, rule follower, love this. Uh, you get deeper in, you don't, but that's okay. Uh, and there's a character in this show called Doug Forsett. And Doug Forsett, the show describes, was able to figure out this point system with 92% accuracy, which is just a startling number, they say. And so Doug Forsett tried to live his life in a way that he would accumulate enough points to get to the good place. 
But because of how complex the world is, because of how insanely difficult things is, it didn't work. An article that I grabbed to recap this said this. So it turns out that Doug's miraculously accurate vision of how the afterlife works has ruined his earthly life, turning him into an isolated hermit who makes his living off the land and dedicated his whole life to making others happy to the detriment of his own well-being. He subsists solely on lentils, radishes, and recycled water, lets a preteen boy bully him into doing his chores for him, volunteers himself as a test subject for cosmetics so they won't be tested on animals, has a minor meltdown when he accidentally calls Michael Mark, and becomes utterly distraught when he steps on a snail, giving it a full-fledged funeral when he's unable to save its life. (laughs) And at the end of all of that, he still only earned half the points that he needs to in order to get into the good place. I think we've lost sight of what love looks like. I think we've lost sight of what support looks like. I think a lot of times we go down this performative bumper sticker, window sticker, front lawn sign route that puts us in the place of Doug Forsett in the good place. Because we feel pressure to keep performing. We feel pressure, well I said I support this, so why don't I support this? And not only does it drive us crazy, but it's the reverse of what Jesus shows us. Because here's the, here's the sneaky thing about bumper sticker love. Bumper sticker love oftentimes is for us to check a box so we can feel good and say we're loving and caring people and for us to gain status in the social spheres we care about. And again, like this, this crosses, politi- like this is all across the board. And here's the thing. Jesus showed us that real love actually costs us social status. Here's my disclaimer because we're in a church and church people like all people sometimes suck, myself included. Don't go out and be a jerk and say, well, John said real love cost me social status, so I'm just showing people real love. No, you're being a jerk, and you're twisting a pastor's words to justify it. Like, don't do that. But Jesus did show us that real love costs a social status. Think about it. He ate with tax collectors who no one liked. He sat with what the Bible calls other notorious sinners. And I think where our mind goes on that, unless we've done deep studies, says more about us than the Bible, and we can talk about that later. Um, he touched those who were untouchable. He elevated ethnic minorities and women who had no social status at the time. He pushed aside the elite of the day to be with the commoners. It cost Jesus socially dearly, because, but he didn't care. Because real love is more important than anything else. Real love costs us something. Real love isn't bumper sticker love. It's not something we put on our car, our window, or our social media feed. It's something that we do with real people. Here's my, here's my big like, hope and dream for myself and for us as a church. I want us to love people in a way that we are uncomfortable putting on our social media feed. Because what happens is, is when you really love someone and you have a relationship with someone, you don't post that performatively. Like when you have a real relationship and you are really truly loving someone, you don't post that to brag about that. Like what would it look like if our acts of real love, like what if we took Jesus literally? Like what if we took Jesus at his word and he's like, love your neighbors. We're like, who's our neighbor? He's like, no, your neighbors. Now it's interesting, right? Like in Luke, he does do a really cool moment. We're like, who's our neighbors? He's like, the people whose customs and cultures you hate. That's a fun moment. Um, But like real love is this. It is truly engaging with our neighbors, our real life neighbors, people that we see, people that we run into, people that we are different than. It is love across customs. Uh, Someone at Anchor shared an excerpt of a book um, called Domestic Monastery with me earlier this week. And I love this quote that they shared with me and talking about what real love looks like. 
And they actually said this, in the book, it, it kind of expands this a little bit where it talks about how this is a mark of someone who said yes to Jesus and is living that way. It says, here's what we do with our hearts. We begin to stretch our hearts to love ever wide and wider, to being to love in a way that takes us beyond the natural narrowness and discrimination that exists within our hearts because of temperament, wound, timidity, ignorance, selfishness, race, gender, religion, circumstance, and our place in history. That's what it means to love our neighbor well. It's love across those things that divide us. It's love across the things that make us uncomfortable. It's love across the differences that make us uncomfortable. Right, in, the, in the Matthew account of this story where, where Jesus is asked, what's the greatest commandment? And he says two things. In, Matthew, in Matthew's account of it, it says that Jesus actually says that the whole law, everything about the law hangs on these two commandments. Love God, love your neighbor as yourself. So the last thing I want you to write down if you're taking notes is this, is that this is what matters most. This is what matters most. Like Jesus said this, the whole law hangs on this. This is what matters above anything else. Loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself. And we can see how that worked. Right, like this type of real sacrificial love is how the early church grew. It's still what causes churches to grow. Like if you look today, where's the church growing quickest? It's in places where it's against the law and people are sacrificing day in and day out to love people radically the way Jesus commanded them to. Right, it's not fancy productions or lights or music or, or great biblical teaching. It's real sacrificial love. That's what grows the church. It is real sacrificial love. That's what matters most. When Paul is giving advice to churches in these letters that we have in the New Testament, he says this. In Corinthians, in his letter to the church at Corinth, and don't get me wrong, Paul is talking about a lot of behavior issues in this letter to the church at Corinth. But he says this, if you do not have love, you are a clanging symbol and useless. In Galatians 5.14, Paul says this, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Like this is it. This is what Jesus calls us to do. This is what really matters. Love across convictions and cultures. I love that when we see this interaction with Jesus and the teacher, the teacher uh, condemns burnt offerings and sacrifices and Jesus is like, yeah, good job. I think sometimes we need to examine what that could be for us today. What are the burnt offerings and sacrifices that I try to offer God? Because loving God and loving my neighbor is hard and uncomfortable. I think sometimes that's platitudes. I think sometimes that's performative love, right? Bumper sticker love. I think sometimes it's giving or tithing. I think sometimes that's how many Sundays I serve on a serve team. I think that's helping out at a charity. I think it could be wearing the right type of clothing, eating the right type of thing. I think sometimes it's academic knowledge. I think a lot of times we get so wrapped up and so focused on those and we try to offer those to God and he says, I just need you to love me and love your neighbor. And it's simple, but it's hard, right? Like, it's easier for me to study. It's a lot harder for me to talk to someone I don't like. <laughs> right? Like, and we have those moments where we're like, I don't like that neighbor. And God's like, but, but I said love your neighbor. I'm like, but they're a jerk. So are you. Right? Like, <laughs> it's hard. And so I just think that sometimes we, have a, we need to have a self-reflection moment. We go like, are we trying to give these burnt offerings and sacrifices or are we loving God and our neighbor? 
I think a lot of times we think that, that loving God means asserting or standing up for him. And I, I just need you to know, I think God and the Bible are both powerful enough without us standing up for them. The number one question I get as a, as a friend, as a pastor from my friends who follow Jesus and they ask me this question, it's the number one question I've gotten in the last five years. It's some variation of, John, there's someone I love. They don't love Jesus. They've asked me to go to, to do this thing, to help them with whatever. And I think that goes against my biblical convictions. What do I do? It's the number one question that I get as a pastor from my friends. I love that question. I think it's a really great question of how do I love this person well without compromising my convictions? I just think that sometimes we get into a false dichotomy of do I diminish my convictions or do I diminish the relationship? It's easy to get to a spot where you feel like either my convictions lose out or the relationship loses out. I think Jesus actually calls us to a third way, which is not diminishing our convictions, but stepping fully into relationship. And if you're like me, you're like, that sounds really, really hard. I think it's supposed to, because we're not supposed to do this on our own. It starts with this first commandment, right? Love of neighbor can't exist without love of God. So if we're wondering like, John, how do I do that? We start by loving God, we're gonna have the band and the communion team come forward. And as we, as we close out today, I wanna take a little bit of time in this room as maybe as the band's singing, maybe as I'm praying over us, whatever it looks like, and do a little bit of self-evaluation. So a question I want you to ask yourself, and you can write this down if it's helpful. We're not gonna have it on the screen, but you can write it down if it's helpful. First question I want you to ask yourself, where do you see love in your life? Where do you see love in your life? Maybe you're here and, and you're saying, I don't, I don't think I've ever seen love from God. If that's you one, I want you to know, I'm really glad you're here today. The second is this, is I would love to talk with you and pray with you because I think God's love has shown up in your life. You might not be able to recognize it yet. So one, where, where do I see that I'm, I'm getting love, right? Because a friend of mine put it this way. He said this, he said, we have to live out of being loved by God. Like, all, like love of God starts by knowing that you are loved dearly by God. That God loves you and there's nothing you can do about it. Second question I want you to know is, is where do you see yourself giving love? Where do you see yourself giving love? Where do I see myself receiving love? Where do I see myself giving love? I think a lot of times these questions are hard. They require reflection. Sometimes it requires us to examine hard truths about ourselves. I've been convicted by these questions. I've been convicted where I said, man, I'm doing a really great job of loving my wife, loving my kids, and loving some of my friends. But my neighbors, I'm not. The people that annoy me, I'm not. God, will you forgive me for that? God, will you give me your eyes to see people the way you do? God, will I love my neighbors as well as myself? And again, I just, I want you to know if you're here today, God loves you so much and there's nothing that you can do about it. God loves you so much and there's nothing you can do about it. I think this has to start with how my friend put as this, is, is living out of being loved by God. So what we recognize every week when we take communion. It's gonna be an opportunity for us to take communion again today. Your station's at the front and the back of the room and, and communion is this, it's a time where we remember how God demonstrated that he loved us in the most incredible way possible. And Jesus dying for us, 
So if you said yes to Jesus, if you said no to your own way and yes to the way of Jesus, even if you said that today for the very first time, we would love for you to take communion. You can come forward. We'll say Christ's body broken for you, Christ's blood shed for you, and you can take communion. So here's what the rest of the morning is gonna look like. In a little bit, I'm gonna pray for you guys. The band's gonna lead us in a song. During that song, you can come forward and take communion. You can listen to the words, you can sing the words, you can sit, you can stand, whatever you're comfortable with. Here's the one thing that I would ask of you. If you are going to take communion today, before you take communion today, will you allow yourself even just 30 seconds, even just 30 seconds to stop and reflect on one of those questions? Where do I see love coming into my life? Where do I see myself giving love? I think God has something for you with one of those questions today. And I would ask that you give yourself at least 30 seconds before you come forward and take communion. Just say, God, what do you have to share with me about that today? I'm gonna pray for us. God, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for sending Jesus to make sense of so much for us. God, even in the times where I'm frustrated by the mysteries of Jesus, I am grateful for moments like we see in scripture today where he puts together the old and the new where he shows us what real love is. God, I thank you for the sacrificial love that we see modeled so well in Jesus. God, I pray that we would be a church that is known for real love, for real costly love. God, I pray this, that I would be able to focus more and learn more and look more to how you love me. God, I I pray that as we search our hearts, God, that you would forgive us for the moments where our love, our actions have been performative. God, I pray that as a church, we will be guided by this idea of sacrificial, real love.